This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jerry, here we go with episode 29 of The Wheelhouse. I am here in Denver, Colorado at fine altitude on hotel Wi-Fi. You are, meanwhile, back home at Safeco Field. Jerry, uh, this has been a ton of fun doing this podcast with you for the entire first half of the season. And uh, we'll start this off by thanking you for all the time and all the insights because uh, this has been a perfect first half uh, to have a, let's call it a bi-monthly podcast with the GM. So our thanks to you uh, for calling myself and uh, the entire fan base. Man, this has been a ton of fun. It really has. And from what we've had going on on the field, the evolution in our front office, some of the development of our systems and programs, getting to talk about it on a weekly basis like we do. It's been a lot of fun for me. I'm still learning the nuances of podcasting. And, uh, you know, hopefully I I sharpen my edge a little bit. I'm not going to rely on Colin to give me too much help. You know, he's he's coming up uh, deuces today, but at least he's got a pair. He's holding a pair. Well, you know, Colin had to fly commercial on his way home, so he's a little winded right now because of that, as he was with us in Anaheim. Hey, Jerry, along the lines of uh, some hectic travel, I was curious. I was, th- I was thinking about you, Jerry, at 4.30 this morning, because that's when uh, the Mariners got to the hotel here in uh, Did you ever have a kind of a go-to routine as to how to bounce back from just a, a brutal travel schedule other than just sleeping in? Not really. I, I, th- I wasn't a big sleeper. And generally speaking, I'm, I'm still not. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like getting to the ballpark. And my thought was, as, particularly as a player, slam a Mountain Dew, hop in the hot tub and, and shake it off and let's get on. So I, I think as a rule, the competition or the, the adrenaline that you feel when you get into uh, the latter part of a game tends to take away the the fact that you're tired and and especially through the years traveling in and out of Denver because we we would often eh, often have some wonky travel it was it was a little bit more challenging but I always I always lived for that moment in the game where you just you got it on and they, we only have a couple of days to go until we get to the break and I think that gives the guys uh, at least a finish line. And it's not artificial. They're going to have Monday off, and everybody gets to recharge. Well, what a first half it has been for the ball club. And, and this is terrific, Jerry. You have four All-Stars on the 2018 Mariners. Uh, three of them are first-time All-Stars. And two of them, I don't have to tell you, Jerry, came over in the same trade, Machaniger and Gene Segura. Uh, what is What was, what is your reaction finding out that your ball club has not only one All-Star but four All-Stars this year? I feel like we got hosed. We should have got one or two more. <laughs> now, I, I, really, I, I couldn't be happier. Four All-Stars is a great accomplishment. And and uh, I think many news outlets have touched base with me this week because there's some fascination that both Gene and Mitch came to the Mariners in the same trade. Uh, really thrilled for Gene Segura that, that not only did he make the All-Star team as he deserved to, but that he made it in the way he did, I think made it 
it was the epitome of what the 2018 Mariners are about. It's it's team, it's community, it's everybody coming together and and pulling for one another. And the fact that that's how Gene made his way to D.C. is awesome to me. Uh, you know, Eddie Diaz has been the best closer in the American League, in my opinion. Uh, Mitch Hanniger has been a, a consistent run producer for us since opening day. And Nelson's presence is looming, let's call it. And, and let's say now you are in Denver. Maybe one of the most uh, naked feelings I have going into the weekend is that Nelly is not likely to be out there taking his ABs on a nightly basis. And, and I know we're not a better team when that happens. No, you're right about that. I will say the uh, Nelson Cruz batting practice at Coors Field is worth the price of admission, however. <laughs> that is a sight to see. Uh, you know, the, you bring up the Gene Segura situation, and I was thinking about this the other day, Jerry. Of course, it would have been great for Gene to be uh, essentially a unanimous selection, right? To be the leading vote getter in a very crowded field at shortstop. Uh, but if that wasn't going to happen, the 48 hours of Gene Segura love that we saw in the Northwest and at Safeco Field with Felix Hernandez at the corner of Edgar and Dave getting people to vote to Mike Zanino uh, at home plate at Safeco Field the following day, giving out free pizza for people lining up at the voting podium at shortstop on the field. Uh, what To me, it was just kind of the perfect culmination, Jerry, of an absolutely uh, – feverish and empowered fan base, a front office marketing staff that does this better than anybody, and a player who has uh, been one of the premier players at his position, really in either league. I mean, bringing all three of those together, that made for a really fun 48 hours to just kind of everyone bow down and behold the greatness that has been uh, Gene Segura so far in the first half. I, I, you, I can't say it better than that. He, he's been among the MVP candidates, not just for our team, but, but in the American League. And, and the fact that, that we, the Mariners, our marketing people, the, the community here, our fan base, came to, came to push Gene through. And, and in contest with guys like Andrew Benintendi and Giancarlo Stanton, markets like Boston and New York, or even Andrelton Simmons in L.A., or somewhere near there. It, it was it was remarkable to watch everybody come together, and and I think Gene really appreciated it. It's it's a cool way to go. Uh, we were hopeful that we were going to be able to pull it across, or even that justice would would serve and he would get there somehow. And we took care of it ourselves, which I think is awesome. Now, when the the news came down, it was right before the Mariners left for the road trip. Of course, Segura's news coming down on the road trip. Uh, so the opportunities for you to be face-to-face with guys that have been selected have been few and far between. Any interaction, though, between uh, you and any of the four guys after uh, getting the uh, nod to go to the All-Star game? No, I actually – I'll call each of them once the weekend uh, finishes up and they've had a chance to, to absorb this or, or take it in. The one guy I have had interaction with happened accidentally, which uh, made for some theater, you know – we found out shortly after the polls closed that Gene Segura had been uh, had won the final vote at MLB.com. And immediately when the message came through that he had won the vote, I, I saw the top half of the text message, which read, for planning purposes, want to make you aware that Gene Segura has won the final vote. 
and we were just coming off of the pizza party out on the field here at Safeco and and there was a, a load of enthusiasm and everybody was running on high and immediately I sent a text message of congratulations to Gene and uh, and Gene typed back really and and then I received a, a phone call from his agent I neglected to pan down on my text and and see that they wanted me to keep that confidential for a couple of hours until it was announced on the MLB network. So our guys did a great job of, of jumping on the grenade for me and, and holding it in confidence that uh, you saw the video footage of the bus erupting three hours before it was supposed to. <laughs> and that was the only interaction that I've actually had with any of the players uh, we were also happy for Gene and and so happy for the other three guys. They're they're also deserving. Yeah, no, it's been incredible. What a first half for all four of those guys, and even more as you referenced. Well, Jerry, as the Mariners embark on the final three games of the first half, it's amazing how quickly this first half has gone by for the Mariners. Uh, there have been, or there have been, uh, as of well, at the time of this recording, just a few moments ago, kind of a flurry of roster moves for a variety of reasons for the Mariners. Can you walk us through what the moves are? Yeah, we do have a flurry, it, and some of it stems from a, a couple of DLs. Obviously, we left Felix behind so that he could uh, help push Gene across to the All-Star game by recruiting fans out on the corner of uh, Edgar and Dave. But the, we we were planning on skipping Felix through this time so that he could get healthy and uh, get his back where it needed to be. So we're going to start Christian Bergman, uh, spot start for him tonight. Obviously, the last time we did this, it worked out very well for Berge. And he's had a lot of history at Coors Field, uh, came up with and pitched for the Rockies for a couple of years and probably has more experience at, at altitude than any of our pitchers. He'll start tonight. We've also added uh, Casey Lawrence and Mike Morin, who will, will join us tonight. And that's on the heels of not knowing what our bullpen was going to be able to give us after James Paxton left yesterday's game after just two outs. So, you know, Pax will go to the disabled list, which coincides, frankly, with with his next start. You know, 10-day DL, uh, his next start is 12 days from now when he will tee it up against the Giants here at Safeco. And this allowed us the ability to, to let the the inflammation in James back calm down. We don't anticipate that it's a that it's a long lasting or or ominous injury, but give him his rest and and push him back a little bit in the in the start of the second half of the season and add some pitching that'll help us get through what we anticipate being a, a pretty up and down weekend at Coors Field. Well, I guess we uh, we all kind of saw some roster moves coming, and that would certainly qualify as uh, a number of roster moves for the Mariners. But some good timing, it looks like, with the All-Star break uh, for the Mariners. And this has been a, a little bit of a uh, rougher stretch by 2018 Mariners standards, uh, dating back to the end of the last homestand. But, Jerry, do you kind of feel like, because of uh, the injuries kind of beginning to mount up a little bit, that this All-Star break, I mean, for some teams, the All-Star break comes at a terrible time if you're red hot. But for the Mariners... For as tremendous of a first half as it has been, it seems like kind of the dings, the bumps, and the bruises are beginning to show up. And four days rest for the majority of the guys is about as good of a thing as you could ask for. They really have. And, you know, we've got, whether it's Mike Zanino, Felix, it's James Paxton, the bumps and the bruises have piled up here over the last week. And, and frankly, over the last two weeks, we just haven't played that well offensively. We're, we've we've had a lot of stops and starts and and all the good things we were doing with, with runners in scoring position have, have generally not been as, as drastic for us these last two weeks. 
So it's, the break does come at a good time for us. So many of our guys experience some bumps, bruise, or, or bang up over the course of the first half. Uh, Kyle Seeger, D. Gordon, uh, you name it. Everybody out there at one point or another has needed a break. And the fact that the All-Star break is coming, hopefully we can win this series in Denver and, and go in on a positive note. But as I said this morning to the guys, if at the 94 game mark, when we were leaving Peoria this spring, if at the 94 game mark, you told me we were going to be on pace for 100 wins and within you know shouting distance of the Astros, I, I would have been thrilled and am. I, I really am thrilled. No, I, I don't think there's a single Mariners fan which would disagree with that. And that has been an, an incredible start to the season for the Mariners. And you bring up runners in scoring position, Jerry. This is something that Mike and I talk about from time to time on the air and off the air. And this is kind of one of those mysterious stats. Uh, people, it's an easy thing to point to when you're going really good at it, when you're going poorly at it. But is this one of those things, Jerry, hitting with runners either at second or third base over the course of 162? Is this just kind of the ebbs and the flows of the season? It's there, and then it's gone, and then it's there, and then it's gone again. Not just for the Mariners, but kind of for every team, unless you are the team that just leads the majors or leads the league all season long. This is just a mysterious thing to kind of try to figure out. It really is, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. And typically, and and through the course of this first half, we have always had one and sometimes two or three hitters that have just been smoking hot. And... And when we got runners on base, it always seemed to come down to those guys at various points in the season. And it might have been Mitch Haniger for a period of time. It was Ben Gamel. It's been Denard Spann. It's almost always been Nelson Cruz. Those guys have done a remarkable job of picking up the runners when we when we had them out there. And here over the last couple of weeks, it's been a little bit more touch and go. And we're being pitched different in those situations, which I think is is we have to make an adjustment there. But that's real. And you're going to go through the peaks and the valleys. It's a, it's a hard thing to do. But when we have opportunity, particularly with runners on third and less than two outs, we've, we've got to do a better job than we have these last few weeks in, in picking up those runs because they're all critical. And, you know, we've, we win one-run games. That's kind of been our M.O. through the, the season to date. And I want to make sure that we don't forget who we are. We are about scratching those runs across and producing our own runs and, and manufacturing them when we can. And, and that's been a constant that's just gone a little bit dry. But I expect it'll turn around when we get back from this break. Well, talk about constants. Uh, have we talked about Marco Gonzalez in every episode so far this season? I feel like it's been if, – if we've done 20 in-season episodes, I think Marco's been on the agenda in 19 of them at least. Is that sound fair? I, I think you're probably underestimating. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we have talked about Marco quite a bit. <laughs> well, Jerry, this first half for Marco Gonzalez, I, I think for many of us, is one of the great storylines for the 2018 Mariners. I mean, whether it's by uh, conventional metrics, simply uh, ERA, innings pitched, if you want to look at uh, Fangraph's War, for example, by any of those measures, I mean, you're looking at a top 20 pitcher, uh, in the league, if not in the majors, on a year where, Jerry, outside of people like you that are really in the know, and I don't know, maybe you're part of this category, guys like myself and the average fan, I don't know if we really knew what to expect from Marco Gonzalez, right? We knew that he was going to be a part of this opening day rotation. We knew this would be a big season for Marco in a lot of ways. But the Marco that we saw, Jerry, last year in a Mariners uniform, 
we all knew was not the real Marco, which means that we didn't know what the real Marco actually looked like. And I guess now we do because it has been an absolute joy to watch. What has been your biggest takeaway from Marco Gonzalez in the first half of his first full season with the Mariners? I mean, you touched on most of it. It's he's been terrific for us, and you know I, I looked yesterday coming out of his start against the Angels uh, night before last. He he was ninth in the American League and wins above replacement in, in Fangraphs, and and I believe sixteenth in, in Major League Baseball, which is pretty phenomenal for a guy who fought through so much adversity, who was questioned as as often as he's been over the course of the last, let's call it year, since joining the Mariners. And I'm mostly thrilled for him. Uh, obviously very happy for the Mariners and what he's delivered us. But he's answered so many questions from the development of his pitch menu to some adjustments in the way he sequences pitches to the diligence and how he works between starts. And he's made himself into a, a real top half of the rotation starting pitcher. And given us, I, I think the reliability of having James Paxton and Marco Gonzalez, two guys who have been among the really the 10 best starting pitchers in the American League to this point in the season, and then the sneaky contributions from Wade LeBlanc that nobody could have counted on, to the general steadiness of Mike Leake, the you know, last two starts aside. This rotation has been better than people anticipated. And while we all thought James Paxson would take that step forward to ace status, nobody was really expecting for Marco Gonzalez to wind up in the conversation with the Corey Klubers, the Luis Severinos, and the Blake Snells of the world. This this has really been an awesome first half for him and for the Mariners as a result. I'll share a brief uh, story with you that I, I think you might find entertaining. Uh, Mike was on the, uh, the late bus the other day coming to the ballpark when Marco made his final start against the Angels. And uh, the starting pitcher, as you know, is always on the late bus. And Marco is, would you agree, Jerry, is one of the uh, most gregarious uh most affable guys you will find in any clubhouse in the major leagues. I mean, he is about as good of a guy as you can find. I agree. I, tremendous guy. And I, I, I could think of 50 other words to choose that would all be <laughs> complimentary. Well, when Marco got on the bus and walked past Mike Blowers, uh, Mike just gave uh, Marco a, a little nod and said, uh, hey, Marco. And Marco, who on any other day of the week uh, would have given a smile and a nod and maybe even had a conversation with Mike, uh, just simply looked in Mike, gave him a half nod, and kept walking to the back of the bus. Uh, on on game day for Marco Gonzalez, he's he's a different form of Marco Gonzalez. And and Blower Powers said, I absolutely loved it. Because as Mike referenced, you know, of course, he played with Randy, among other greats. The guys who kind of go to that next level every five days, man, they kind of turn into a different beast. And uh, it seems like Marco is kind of cut from a similar cloth. He game-faced him. Which, he game-faced him. Yes, that's absolutely game -faced right. Him, which I think is fantastic. There's the, the concentration. You can see it out there while he's pitching, the way he, the way he grinds through a game. And, and while his last start was certainly one of the better starts he's made all year, and there have been many on the, on the good end, the start before it, when he really had to grind with less than his best stuff and less than his best command, he's really learned that, that the trait of veteran pitchers, which is just knowing how to win or compete like that on the days you don't have your best, that's what takes the guys that separates those that are in the middle to top half of the rotation from those who are at the back end. Well, we've, we've touched on Marco, so maybe 
outside of Marco Gonzalez, Jerry, when you reflect on this first half, which is quickly coming to a close for the Mariners, is there a a storyline, a player, an incident, an anecdote, something that really stands out head and shoulders above everything else for you? Oh, man. I, I think the, the season to date uh, could be an eagle landing on our starting pitcher in Minnesota. I mean, I, you don't see that every day. Could have been, the, you know, that same starting pitcher, James Paxton, throwing a no-hitter up in Toronto, which was really uh, like a, a big moment for us as, a, as an organization, and I know a big moment for James in his career. It could be the, the gosh, there was a, a week there where I think we had three or four walk-off wins in, in about a 10-day stretch. Detroit, Texas, uh, one against the Angels, and, and it really created some excitement. But if I had to pick one moment, one like spot in time that I think really, again, tells the story of the 2018 Mariners, it is Wade LeBlanc going in to that weekend series with the Red Sox and on national television shutting that lineup down. We wind up walking out of there with a one nothing win on a day where our offense didn't do a whole lot. And and Wade, the the journeyman left-hander who's done so much for us in two different stints here, had his moment in the sun, and we showed that we could compete with a team that, frankly, is on pace to be the second winningest team of all time. And uh, and to hang in there the way he did that night and dominate that club was was phenomenal. And maybe more so the way his teammates embraced him in and around that game. And then in the, the days ahead, just a couple of days after when we signed him to a contract extension, that that was my favorite moment of the first half, but I could count 50 things that, that I look back on and, and I will always remember favorably because it truly has been a special first half, regardless of what this last week has, has looked like. That, that day when LeBlanc threw up zeros against the Red Sox, my goodness, that was one of the most picture-perfect days at Safeco Field that great ballpark has ever had. And it's not just because of the scoreboard. The weather, the sellout crowd, everything about it, you're right. That was a day to remember. Uh, I will add to your terrific list James Paxton's 16 strikeouts against the A's because I don't know Jerry. I never saw Nolan Ryan pitch in person. I, I can't speak to what his fastball looked like, but – I don't know. That is about as close to the effect of a Nolan Ryan fastball as I can come up with in, in my mind. Uh, a fastball that I've never at the major league level really seen. As soon as a pitcher goes 0-1, you say to yourself, well, this at-bat's over. But that's the kind of stuff Paxton had when he nearly had an immaculate inning in the first and struck out 16. <laughs> you had to get the immaculate inning. <laughs> I, did, I, I have had the, you know, I've many times watching Nolan Ryan pitch and Little little uh, trivia fact for you here, because I know you're right now on the Stump JD trivia. I was actually on the opposing team the day that Nolan Ryan achieved his final win as a major league pitcher, uh, which was a pretty cool thing in retrospect. But the dominant fastballs of our time, like Nolan Ryan, like Randy Johnson, the, the, the like the truly – dominant guys James had it that night and I, as much as James no hitter stands out as a you know hallmark moment for this team it probably wasn't his best start it was that one against Oakland where he just overwhelmed the the, the opponent and I don't think I've ever seen a major league pitcher just sit out there and throw fastballs by a lineup like that which is kind of remarkable yeah no that, that's a good piece of uh, JD trivia by the way yeah that was uh 
a, re a remarkable start for James Paxton. I will also add, and this is maybe a smaller blip on the radar, but the Haniger to Segura Balbuena ankle tag, bat flip, want to have a double, <laughs> not going to happen. Uh, because it was such a great play, of course, but the backstory of same trade, both guys, uh, that to me was also kind of one of those, I don't know the next time we're going to see a play quite like that one again. Uh, so that was uh, that. That's on my uh, kind of beneath the surface, uh, really memorable moments from the first half as well. Uh, hey, uh, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but and we bring up the A's from that uh, that Paxton start. Jerry, the A's are making a ton of noise. Is this a team uh, as you kind of watch them from a distance? And the Mariners will be seeing them plenty of courts in the second half. Uh, we know they've got a lot of young talent. They've been through a hundred starting pitchers. It seems like they've been incredibly banged up. Uh, but now, going into the break, I mean, you talk about the break coming at the right time for the Mariners because of uh, getting a little battered and bruised. It seems like it's also coming at the right time for the Mariners to hopefully slow the A's down a little bit. Uh, maybe the break will have the opposite effect on the A's. <laughs> it's uh, They're a remarkable team, uh, really a remarkable organization. They do this frequently. They, they, they sneak up on you when you don't really consider them. And I think the league uh, unwittingly thought that they were in the second half, or at least that was the prognostication going into the, the season. And that's when they do their, their best business, truly. They, they did this in 2012, popped up out of nowhere and went on a crazy run and wound up winning, I think, 94 games or so. might have been 96. Uh, they have a very talented young team. And, and I said this at the beginning of the year. I didn't know if the, the pitching would hold up, and you could say that about many, ourselves included. But their young nucleus of position players, guys like Matt Chapman and, and Olsen and, and the steady guys like a Jed Lowry and Chris Davis and the athleticism of Marcus Simeon, they can really do some things offensively. And the fact that they're getting the bullpen work they are out of Blake Trinan and Lou Trevino and you know the, the durability of Yusmero Petit, those are real elements to a team that when you can score runs, hit homers and, and close it out in a bullpen like they do, it's, it's amazing because I think they've had two starters who've started more than nine games. And, and you know, that's, that's, a, I, I, that's a phenomenal achievement when you've had that much movement in your starting rotation. So, you know, we've got our hands full with them, and hopefully we can, uh, we can hold them off. I, I, we've had a lot of practice trying. You know, we play them 19 times a year, and if there's a team we know, it, it's Oakland. Well, as we kind of look forward to the second half a little bit after the break, uh, what is it that you are hoping to see in particular from the Mariners, whether it be a continuation of something or something uh, to be improved upon by the Mariners uh, after the All-Star break? Well, I'd like to see us get back to those productive at-bats with, with runners in scoring position, find ways to manufacture runs like we've done so often throughout this first half. I'd like to see us get back to the dynamic base running uh, impact that that we maybe had going, I think, for through the month of June and has really slowed here the last you know, three or four weeks. And, you know, that's something that, that I think is resolved by just giving our guys a little bit of time off their feet. You know, guys like Gene Segura and D. Gordon, who have done so much for us this first half, they've they've had a lot of ABs. They've had a lot of time on the bases, and and hopefully this will serve as a recharge, and we can start impacting the game in that way, the way we have. 
But I can't complain about what this team has has provided us, the thrills they've given us. It's it's been awesome to watch. And you know, if you could have told me that we were going to have one of the five most durable starting rotations going into into the All Star break, that we were going to be among the the top five offensive clubs in the league without really doing it via the home run, doing it in different ways, uh, I would have been thrilled. And and therefore, I have to be. We've got a remarkable season going, and and we are now tonight. I think will be the 95th game. We're on pace for 100 wins, and and that's a that's a pretty cool thing at this time of year to have that chance. And uh, the the true answer is there's always something you could improve, but I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, this this group of 25 earned every bit of this, and and hopefully we can keep it rolling. Will you allow yourself, Jerry, a little uh, time down, a little time away at the All-Star break? Will, will Napa be calling? What, what's the plan for the uh, DePoto family? Oh, I believe Napa will be calling. You know, was, <laughs> uh, so, yes, it is the answer. I will allow myself that. And as a general rule, try to get the, the work-related things done you know, by the by the morning hours. There are obviously, as we head toward the trade deadline, a lot of that time during the, the All-Star break, while you're trying to take a little time away to recharge, I'm on the phone a fair bit with, with other teams in the league and then, you know, catching up with our guys to make sure they're in the loop as to where things might land. Uh, the league is pretty good about quieting down during the break and, and people taking the opportunity to, to recharge. I stayed back in Seattle this trip, as you know, to to try to get the ducks in a row so that we could have a little time down. I I will say, Aaron, and you would have, I think you would have enjoyed this. And I don't know if this qualifies as a sandwich or not. Last night at Shea DePoto, we we did get the, the the grill cooking just prior to the start of the game, and I tried something a little new with my burgers, and uh, I, I I came up with something on suggestion of my wife, which was to uh, put a little pat of butter in the in the actual meat. I went I went three different meats: ground pork, ground lamb, ground beef. Made a burger. And, and stuffed a, a butter pat in the middle with a little Worcestershire sauce. And I have to say that it, it made Trump. I didn't really need the broccoli rob to make it work. <laughs> ah. And then, you know, served it on a, a grilled pretzel bun and, and it went over pretty well. Well, first of all, let me start by saying if I ever find out, Jerry, and now let's be honest, you have the leverage in this relationship. But if I ever find out, Jerry, that there's broccoli rob near one of your hamburgers, I'm canceling the podcast effective immediately. <laughs> there was no broccoli uh, rob nearby, but there there were there were extras, but I did not go broccoli rob. Uh, secondly, when it comes to a hamburger, I am of the opinion that if you do anything to a hamburger other than high quality beef, heavy salt, heavy pepper, it turns into meatloaf. However, a pat of butter. Inside, I will let fly, and that actually sounds like it could yield some pretty good results. And let's face it, you had a a, a very white collar burger there with the three different meats, which I'm not <laughs> I'm not I, I'm not poo pooing whatsoever. I would have loved to try it, but uh, you're you're in a different realm of burger when you start throwing uh, lamb into the mix. Uh, but I think that's that's a pretty that's a very creative idea. I, I would be interested in trying that. Are you a uh, do you dimple your burgers, Jerry? Get a big thumbprint on one side of them to keep them from turning into a football? I do, but this with the pat of butter, I was unable to do that because in doing so, the butter would, in theory, overflow. And But I, 
I'm sorry I wasn't thinking in my blue collar mindset when I when I popped him on the grill. I, I, I did if I was inviting you and I knew it was just gonna be, you know, just we were grunging jeans and boots and you know, we were gonna eat a man's burger, I, I would have thrown it on the grill in that way. <laughs> well see, this is why I only eat burgers and hard hats. And you understand. I mean course, it's, it's yeah. just, it seems more appropriate that way. Uh, but it does sound like a tasty burger and a nice suggestion from Tammy there. Um, hey, okay, so are we ready? Are we ready for Stump JD, by the way? Are we ready for this? Uh, okay, please go ahead. Now, this is, I will say, I, I spent a considerable amount of time looking this up, and I, I can't confirm, I cannot confirm if I have the definitive answer or not, but I feel pretty, I feel pretty solid about it, okay? Um, Just maybe trivia? This, this, is, is pretty cer- this is pretty certain trivia, okay? Like, let's put it this way. The answers that I have, I know are true answers, I, and I don't think that there are additional correct answers. That is really more the point. Since um, position players pitching over the last, uh, let's call it uh, 48 hours or so, have kind of been uh, invoked, including Andrew Romine for the, uh, for the Mariners, I was curious, Jerry, how many members of the 3,000-hit club have pitched at least an inning in the majors. Oh my gravy! You're killing me. Now, now let's take this. Let's make this a little bit easier, because let's face it, there are some members of the, of the three thousand hit club that predate World War One, right? That is right. So we're gonna keep this. This is where it gets a little foggy. Let's keep this more modern-ish, modern by baseball standards. Okay, not like the millennium, but. Modern, like guys whose career began after World War One. Okay, I came up with a list of three players of the three thousand hit club who have pitched at least an inning in more modern-ish times. Can you think of let's? Can you think of two of the three guys? I'm feeling a lot of pressure here. I I feel like one of them. Maybe the first in our in our line, the conga line of congratulations on the field after a game, is is our former right field legend among them. Absolutely, that is one of the three. Uh, that is one of the three. I would I'll flash back to the 1930s, and and ask, is it possible that Jimmy Fox was one of the three? Uh, Jimmy Fox is not one of them, and I don't, you know, I don't think. And correct me if I'm wrong off the top of my head. Is Jimmy is Jimmy Fox a member of the Three Thousand Head Club, Jerry? Uh, I, I feel see that, like that, he okay, is. That's, nope, see, that's the cop. I looked that up because I thought that that would be it. Jimmy Fox, two thousand six hundred forty-six hits. Close, Jerry. Very close. Oh, dang it! All right, I, there's. I'm lost. I'm lost. I will say only because I want this to be an Aaron moment. Could Stan Musial be among them? Uh, see, now you warm my heart right now because that, that Stan, Musial, Stan Musial, Stan <laughs> Musial, let's face it, one of the greatest of all times. Uh, Musial pitched a third of an inning. He faced one batter, the batter who actually finished second in the batting title that year, and he reached on an E5. But Musial did not pitch a full inning in the major leagues. But I will say this. One of the other hitters barely got 3,000 hits. I'm talking like a week's worth more than 3,000 hits, a good week. And the other one is arguably, to most, the greatest hitter of all time. Ted Williams? Ted Williams, Jerry, threw two innings in one game. 
Wow. I have no idea. I, I, there's, you got me on that one. I have no idea. You know, I didn't know either. He, he uh, was pleading to his manager, Joe Cronin, at the time. He was begging to pitch at some point, and uh, the Red Sox were being blown out by the Tigers at Fenway Park, and he threw the final two innings against Detroit. I believe it was a part of a doubleheader. Uh, so, yeah, Teddy ball game. It's fun two innings. Now, the other player, so we got Ichiro, Ted Williams. The third player is also a Red Sox Hall of Famer. Wow, that narrows the ba- field. Barely got 3,000 hits. Wade Boggs. Wade Boggs. Wade Boggs threw two and a third innings over the course of his Hall of Fame career. Stunning factoids. I, can I throw another JD trivia factoid at you? Yeah, throw, throw away. What do you got? So in, in my heyday or, or salad days when I pretended to be a baseball player, I, I, I played for the Rockies, and we had a backup catcher by the name of Brent Main. And Brent Main appeared in a major league game as a pitcher. Uh, we were in an extra inning affair versus the Atlanta Braves. And Mayner came in to throw and actually became the first position player to appear in a game and achieve a win. We wound up, we wound up winning the game with our catcher pitching. And it became the first time since 1968, I believe it was, that a position player won as a pitcher. Uh, in 68, it was Rocky Calavito. Back with the, the Rockies, it was Brent Main, and I don't think it's been done since. That's a rare achievement. That, that might be tougher than the Immaculate Inning. That is terrific trivia. That is very good. I, uh, I'll have to remember that one. That'll be good to work in at some point. Not, not for Stump JD, of course. That wouldn't work. I would say that, Jerry, um, you were like a Habsy winner this week. Um, I mean, is that fair? I mean, I, you really only got one, which was kind of a layup. Uh, but you, come on, that was a good question, was it not? It was a tremendous question. I did, you're, you're giving me levels and layers of. You're not just asking simple questions like you know back to back MVPs or you know 50 homer seasons. You, you're going deep in the weeds on these, and I have to yeah, say, I feel, I feel good. Yeah. I feel good. I feel good about this week's question. I thought it was pretty pretty. Good. I'll I'll be asking Riz and Blower Power and Gary. I'll I'll be passing this along to them later today. And you know, I, I once again I will I will backfill all these questions by saying. I don't know the answer to any of these. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, I'm starting to go like to bed at night. Looking them up. I'm going to bed at night thinking, what is next week's trivia question going to be? I need to, to grab my glasses and my itty-bitty book light and start researching the baseball encyclopedia between now and the next episode. Hey, as our good friend, Mariners Traveling Secretary Jack Mossman would say, iron sharpens iron, Jerry. So we're just, <laughs> we're just making each other better here. Well, um, we'll get to some listener questions here. Uh, this is this is a really interesting one. It comes from uh, Eric Sorensen, who uh, is a, a very avid listener. Eric, we appreciate this, not only to the podcast, but to Mariners Radio, and especially to the pregame show. And uh, Eric loves, Jerry, uh, a segment we have every day called The Roundtable, which is basically just uh, three or four of us uh, talking about uh, anything we want concerning the Mariners baseball in general. And oftentimes we will have a, a guest with the other team or a writer or an, a noteworthy someone or another who is in town uh, join us. And so Eric wants to know, Jerry, if you could choose your own roundtable with baseball greats uh, to sit down and talk baseball with, who would be at your table? And I would say to keep it in line with the actual roundtable he's referring to, I would say you can pick uh, three other guys as uh, your baseball greats to have a roundtable conversation with. 
three other guys. I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go off the beaten path here, and, and this is only because it, it seems appropriate in the moment. Because I, I I hear there is a new short film or or movie uh, made for TV that I need to watch. But I'm gonna choose Mo Berg, the catcher who was a spy because I'm going to be fascinated by what he's able to tell me about not only his 16 years as a major league catcher, but serving as a spy for the U.S. government during World War II. I will choose Jackie Robinson. Uh, a f- I don't even think I need to, to add to why. <laughs> the, uh, the experiences that he had have to be as unique as anyone that, that ever laced up spikes in the big leagues. And I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Joe DiMaggio because I want in a in a moment's time when the world's biggest movie star says to her husband, "You don't know what it's like to have to have thousands and thousands of people cheer you every day and have expectations like I have." And he said, "I think I do." <laughs> the, those those three guys, because of the time they played, because of the social status they had, and and the things that that they experienced in their careers, would be fascinating to sit down with. That is a really good list. And when you bring up Jackie Robinson, it does kind of make me think, Jerry, that if any baseball fan, from a, a general manager to a guy who just goes to a couple of games a year, I think Jackie Robinson has to be on everyone's list, does he not? Well, I think he just he he goes so far beyond baseball what he what he meant to to our country what he meant in in terms of the freedoms that 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 we are now allowed uh, even when he walked away from baseball it, it, it you could argue that his impact in in the world socially had a bigger impact than he ever had as a baseball player and it's uh, for as great as he was on the field to be able to say that is pretty remarkable no, you're absolutely right. Our uh, second and final listener question. Remember, you can always email the podcast uh, at or the wheelhouse at mariners.com. And uh, your question just might be selected to have Jerry answer. This is from Wayne in Seattle. He's curious a little bit, Jerry, about the trade market. Wayne wants to know, is the trade market favoring buyers more as more sellers appear as the month of July progresses? Or are the buyers more desperate to win division and not have to play in the wild card game what do you make of the market i I do think well first of all i think that that it is always a seller's market early so you know in in late june early july it's why you see fewer trades is that it is almost always a, a seller's market and then as we get down closer to the the end of the month it starts to drift toward the buyers, uh, particularly in the bullpen, uh, tend to get maybe better deals by waiting down until the end um, with the rental players, for sure, expiring contracts and, and pending free agents. But, you know, that being said, there is there is an impetus this year, especially in the American League, to to win a division and to not wind up in a wild card game. And, and frankly, I think even... Even nationally, we are recognized as as a reason for that. I, I don't think too many teams are are looking forward to a one game playoff with in a league that that has four or five teams that could conceivably win a hundred games, and everyone who has a single pitcher that they could throw out there for a day that would be a very ominous opponent. So I, I 
I think for now it's it's a seller's market like it always is. It's going to drift toward the buyers on rentals. But in the American League, I think you're going to see a very aggressive push in the final two, three weeks here of July. If you can put a number on it, Jerry, I obviously don't want you giving anything away, but I don't think this will. Can you take a guess when the, the trade deadline is over with, when it comes and goes, how many deals do you think you and your crew will have discussed that don't happen? And I don't just mean deals where you call your counterpart with fill-in-the-blank team to actually talk about. But how many how many deals do you think you and the the bullpen of people in your department go, hey, well, how about this and that, this guy for that guy? I mean, is it almost, almost impossible to calculate how many that you guys kick around? I would say that's that's probably closer to a thousand than a hundred, <laughs> uh, and and some of them are creative, some of them are looking ahead, some of them are depth moves, some of them are impact moves, and some of them are are seeing opportunity to maybe be creative in a trade and and try to buy low on an add on or or international slot money that slightly it creates a, a little bit of a of a of a different look to a trade that that may have merit on its own so it, it takes it's a spider web of activity anytime you suggest anything most of them don't work most of them that die on the cutting room floor so to speak but we will literally talk about hundreds of trades and and combinations over the course of this six eight week stretch in the midsummer no i can i can definitely believe it well, Jerry, uh, this has been a ton of fun as always. Uh, we appreciate everybody hanging tight with us over some uh, hotel Wi-Fi possible problems that we went through in uh, this episode. But uh, hopefully a strong finish for the Mariners. And Jerry, if, I'm sure I won't be talking to you until the second half. Enjoy Napa. I'm sure it'll be a great time for, for you and Tammy. And uh, we'll be uh, talking with you at some point early on once again after the All-Star break. So enjoy it, Jerry. I appreciate it, Aaron. I'm going to call it my white-collar vacation. <laughs> <laughs>